Hello and welcome to Within Normal Limits, COPIC's podcast featuring discussions of patient safety in the modern healthcare world. I'm your host, Eric Zacharias, a risk manager and patient safety consultant at COPIC. I'm also our director of medical education and on clinical faculty at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I'm a practicing internal medicine physician, and I want to thank you for listening and helping us further COPIC's mission of improving medicine in the communities we serve. Now, an exciting legal disclaimer. Uh, information provided in this podcast should not be relied upon for personal, medical, legal, or financial decisions, and you should consult an appropriate professional for specific advice that pertains to your situation. Healthcare providers should exercise their professional judgment in connection with the provision of healthcare services. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to be, nor is it, a substitute for medical diagnosis, treatment, advice, or judgment relative to a patient's specific condition. Thank you for joining us. Joining me on this episode of Within Normal Limits, this is going to kind of be a fun talk. It's uh, Dr. Jeff Farnell. We're going to talk about, and this is uh, this is directly from one of his slides. It's how you drive may be hazardous to your patient's health. I can't wait to hear how this goes. So, Dr. Farnell, thanks for joining us on Within Normal Limits. It's my pleasure, Eric. And I will say that uh, in full disclosure, I've I've read the uh, the PowerPoint, and we also talked a little bit about what we're going to discuss here today. So I'm not coming in it totally blindly, but we're going to use driving as a metaphor. And uh, before we get started, Jeff, I want you to give a full uh, discussion to our audience of the difference between a simile, a metaphor, and an analogy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we, we will say this is a metaphor. Okay. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, why you chose this, uh, this metaphor. Well, as I was kind of looking at, you know, driving habits uh, across the country, and, you know, we all have our, our pet peeves about how people drive, and we all, uh, you know, probably evaluate how we drive, which my favorite bumper sticker is, caution, I drive like you do. Uh, so uh, I think that if we look at how we practice medicine, there are some similarities as well. Uh, and so the driving habits can be used as a metaphor for how we, we can practice medicine. I like it. Yeah, no, that's the, the favorite question, right? So show of hands in this room, who's above average driver in this room compared to everybody else? And that's probably how healthcare providers might view themselves. So there's got to be some potential downsides to that, or you wouldn't have mentioned it. So I think that's a good first place to, uh, to, to go. What's the, uh, how do people rate themselves and what are some of the issues around that? Well, as you said, if you ask people in a room, uh, virtually no one would raise their hand as a below average driver. And I think none of us would want to think of ourselves as a below average physician either. And so in order to be objective about it, I think it's important to think about how we evaluate ourselves. What are the metrics that we use? Uh, unfortunately, uh, many of the metrics that are out there already, you know, which would be governmental or insurance companies, you know, don't seem like they're very fair metrics. It's just what they can happen to 
happen to be able to measure and that's what we get stuck with. Uh, so part of our challenge is coming up with the metrics that uh, we feel are important to evaluate how we do. Uh, but I think we all have this urge to be the best uh, provider that we can uh, for our patients. Yeah, and and so we're not trying to beat people up. We're just trying to say, gosh, there are some things again in this in this metaphor that uh, can make it uh, it practice more risky, kind of similar to things that can make uh, driving more risky. There's a reason why insurance companies charge two to three times as much for the insurance of a 16 year old boy driving a Camaro as they do to a 45-year-old, uh, that same person when they're 45 driving a, a Honda Accord. Uh, so what are some of the lessons we've learned uh, around uh, ways to reduce risk within, uh, within healthcare and systems? Well, you and I have kind of grown up in the era where patient safety has become a real concern. And, uh, you know, during that time, uh, we have seen an incredible increase in the complexity of, of, of patient care. Uh, there's been more awareness of errors, and we've finally gotten around to the point of reporting of errors. Uh, the challenge has been that, you know, we work in very complex systems, but we've also learned that uh, each of us as an individual uh, physician has accountability within that system. So if you look at a system to prevent wrong side surgery, you know, we put into uh, we put into place a system, but if each individual surgeon doesn't take that system seriously and follow the dictates, uh, then we continue to have wrong side surgeries, which unfortunately is still the case. And you mentioned accidents, or or at least alluded to it. We have accidents in medicine. Do we have accidents in medicine? We have adverse events, so. How many of these are, again, we're straining the analogy here or the metaphor. It's, I don't think it's a simile, Jeff. But uh, where uh, to the teenage driver and, and adverse outcome, how many of these events are really preventable? Do we know? Well, we have some idea, you know, based on hospital events, there's less evidence as an outpatient. Uh, I think to continue the metaphor is, if we look at car accidents, we would agree that most of them are not truly accidents and if that they're unavoidable and unpredictable. So uh, and we, and if we really analyze uh, errors in medicine as well, uh, we find the same thing. So there are some studies that show that upwards of 70% uh, of the out untoward outcomes in the inpatient side uh, can be related to errors that are avoidable. You know, as I said, there's less information on outpatient events, uh, but uh, in our experience at Copic has shown that uh, the numbers are probably similar. How many of these adverse events uh, are caused by human factors like interpersonal interaction, people's behaviors? Uh, how, how does that contribute to these uh, adverse events? Well, most of them, as a matter of fact, whether it's communication or cognitive issues, uh, and sometimes uh, the behavior extends to even risky or reckless behavior. And part of our challenge uh, in medicine is to uh, determine how we address those issues for providers that extend to that far. And that's uh, many of our listeners will have heard of the just culture approach to, uh, you know, addressing challenges in medicine. And uh, the, ju the just culture helps us decide uh, 
uh, where the practitioner crosses that boundary between an error, which should not be punished, but the per person should be supported, uh, versus risky behavior versus reckless behavior. And I think, you know, we all agree that reckless behavior should lead to some sort of punishment or restriction of, of practice because that person is likely dangerous. Fortunately, those are the very small minority of practitioners. Uh, what we need to do is support the rest of the practitioners and help them identify the, um, uh, the risky behaviors, identify the uh, errors that have occurred and help them to um, learn how to avoid them. One of the terms you talk about a little bit is risk homeostasis. And it's not a term I'm familiar with, or I wasn't familiar with it before reading this information. So maybe give it, give the the example of, of how that maybe happened in automobiles and how that might be an issue in, in surgeries. It's an interesting term. So uh, the, the specific example actually had to do with a uh, uh, an experiment they did with taxis in Munich and uh, they installed this new technology which at the time was anti-lock brakes uh, and they told the drivers you know we've got this new technology it's going to be great in helping you prevent accidents so here you go and this is how it works so half of the drivers had got it and half didn't and what they maybe not surprisingly found out was that the ones with the anti-lock brakes actually had more accidents uh, because they assumed that the technology would take care of their any potential uh, risks that they were taking. And uh, so uh, that was the homeostasis that if you think you are protected, uh, then uh, you, you tend to be less vigilant and tend to uh, assume less personal accountability. So we adjust our behavior to safety systems uh, and uh, and accordingly, that can lead to problems. And we've seen the same thing with wrong side surgery. Yeah, so what happened with wrong side surgery? Why was there that flip in wrong side surgery in, uh, in the state of Colorado? Uh, unfortunately, what happened was is that when the new technology, new protocols were put into place, we actually saw a rise. And this was not just in Colorado, but nationally as well. And I think it's flattened out, but we certainly continue to see wrong site surgeries occur. Uh, my favorite quote is from Albert Einstein, who says that any man who can drive safely while kissing a pretty girl is simply not giving the kiss the attention it deserves. Yeah, Einstein's a quotable uh, quotable person for, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about behavior. I know that's a topic that you lectured on a lot and know a fair bit about. Uh, let's talk about unprofessional behavior. You mentioned this a little bit in the in the GIST culture summary, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of the consequences around uh, understanding risk behavior and whether we punish it, whether we act on it, whether we ignore it. What are, what are some of the issues that that uh, brings up in your mind? Well, you know, I think when we evaluate un unexpected outcomes for patients, um, and particularly when they're very tragic, we want to evaluate to determine if the practitioners involved were doing everything they could to minimize risk. So we'll never have a 0% error rate, uh, but we want to look at uh, how we address the issues and, and determine if we can do better. So if you look at it uh, as, you know, sometimes there will be errors that we uh, sometimes don't have the particular medical knowledge in an area, if it's a new new procedure or a new diagnosis, uh, versus if we choose to at least temporarily 
ignore, uh, you know, what might be a risky behavior, such as an inadequate performance of a surgical timeout, um, or if we decide uh, not to do the surgical timeout forever. So a human error is, is, an, is a behavior that, you know, we should uh, support and educate. A risky An at-risk behavior would be where we would say, you know, this is our policies and, and this is uh, what our expectations are for your behavior. And then a reckless behavior where you intentionally not perform the surgical timeout, you know, that would probably need to lead to some kind of intervention and punishment uh, for that practitioner. So, you know, and we need someone that can do this on an objective manner so that there's no uh, concerns about, you know, competitive behavior or personal dislikes. And this is where having, you know, appropriate policies in place, either in the institution or in the, in the practice, can uh, help us uh, go in the right direction. And so, talked a little bit about punishment, a little bit about rewards, which what are some of the potential punishments? Do they work? And what are some of the potential rewards? Do those work? And maybe I'm asking you more than is known, but I would be interested to know when we talk about punishment or talk about rewards, what are some of those and what have smart people learned from those? Well, you know, the punishments, it can vary everywhere from, you know, uh, temporary restriction of privileges uh, to temporary license suspension to removing the license, depending on how egregious the behavior was. Uh, the rewards would be, you know, celebrating when an error is reported and that we can put into place systems which uh, protect the patient and then encourage people to uh, make use of those systems personally so that they don't, that the error, that the systems haven't been put in place without reward. Um, and again, we have consequences for both. So if we have someone that is having, uh, you know, difficulties, if there is reckless behavior, uh, if we don't punish them, then everybody else in that in in that facility thinks that it's not cared. On the other hand, if we overreact, then they're afraid of being, uh, you know, personally chastised or, uh, you know, unfairly uh, punished uh, when they haven't done anything. So. It's a, it's a delicate line to walk, to walk and, and having policies in place ahead of time helps create the credibility that will allow you to walk that line. You cite a study about the British NHS doing the pay performance, kind of enhance the compliance, but I, in the slides I have, I don't have the punchline. Did it work? Did uh, the British National Health Service incentivizing performance, was it effective? Well, it was effective in uh, uh, incentivizing that performance. Unfortunately, what happened was is that uh, for those measures that they put into place, behavior was improved, but all the other measures that they weren't measuring, you know, things fell off. So, you know, they did great with, for example, with controlling blood sugars in diabetic patients, but uh, screening for colorectal cancer and melanoma, et cetera, et cetera, all fell off. It's one of those situations where Yes, we can change behavior with appropriate incentives and rewards, but we want to be sure that we're incentivizing the right rewards and the right behavior. Yeah, humans are funny creatures. We really find ways to screw up any well-intentioned intervention. Right. So unfortunately, the National Health Service did drop that program uh, and, you know, are currently experimenting with other programs. Uh, so let's, let's move towards wrapping things up. We've got a few bottom line issues talking about, you know, first of all, catastrophic outcomes are rare 
low frequency events, uh, how do you intervene before they happen? Should you intervene before they happen or wait until something bad happens? And what are some other well, one of the things that, you know, we've learned some uh, lessons from industry is, is that if you only look at the catastrophic outcomes, you'll miss out on a lot of the causes and they seem to be random events. But if you uh, are able to encourage the reporting of near misses or slight, uh, slightly negative outcomes, uh, you're able to get a lot more information and get sufficient uh, lessons to put into place systems that can avoid them. So um, it's more useful to measure behaviors in some cases than just wait for adverse outcomes. So uh, are we actually following our wrong side surgery protocols? And I'm not trying to pick on surgeons here, but uh, it's a good example for uh, the, the types of things that can be measured and put into place. Sounds important stuff, and I'm all for picking on the surgeons, Jeff. They don't, they don't get enough breathing, in my opinion. So let's 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 end it with uh, the punchline how are doctors as far as driving goes do you have any any information on that and how are doctors as far as uh, doing good risk management risk reduction or do we even know well we know the driving and that is is that unfortunately they're at the bottom uh, you know above maybe teenagers and that's about it um, uh, so we probably get charged a little more on our premiums for driving uh, 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 I've been encouraged by what we have been able to put into place for patient safety. So there, you know, we started off where there was uh, just an awareness that uh, events were occurring and that errors were occurring. And then we say we just need to put into place more systems because if you blame the individual, then nobody's going to respond. Uh, so we put into place systems, but then the uh, we realized that, you know, people started to rely only on the systems and didn't take into account their own responsibility in those systems. So uh, it's a dual approach. And, and I think as we approach the middle of that pendulum there, we can uh, make real changes. So with appropriate data, safety-oriented rewards and new routines, uh, you know, I'm encouraged that we can uh, make patient care safer. I, I, I agree with you. I think you be careful, you be safe. And I'm going to keep the, the metaphor or analogy going where we know that people who drive the speed limit, who don't drive drunk, who aren't distracted by texting, have a lower likelihood of winding up in car accidents. And I think the same thing with physicians and low event but high consequence situations, uh, those who have you know, thoughtful demeanors and are kind to their patients and their staff who follow safety protocols are less likely to have adverse outcomes. Do you think that's fair? I think that's very fair. It's something we all strive for. All right. Well, Dr. Barnell, thanks for joining us on this uh, edition of uh, Within Normal Limits. My pleasure and be careful out there. Uh, indeed. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Scambotti, a colorectal surgeon and medical director of Copic, thanking you for being a listener. We hope you find Within Normal Limits to be interesting and informative as we at Copic continue with new ways to bring you content relevant to our mission. Please email us at wnlpodcast at copic.com with show ideas or topics you would like to see addressed in future episodes of Within Normal Limits, Navigating Medical Risk. Also, 
Please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any of our content. And while you're at it, please give us a rating if you enjoyed our show. 